Hi, thanks for listening to Christmas Crackers with Carol and Nick. Where we unnecessarily dissect your favourite and not-so-favourite Christmas movies. This podcast contains strong language, ridiculous references, spoilers and mild nudity. Hello and welcome back to Christmas Crackers with Carol and Nick. It is episode two. Merry Christmas. It's episode two. Carol, tell me, are you making a list and checking it twice? I make many lists and then I usually lose them. But in this case, I'm making, I have a big list actually for this particular Christmas movie. It's quite extensive. There was a lot of content. There was particularly a lot of content in the first 24 minutes. Um, and I'm looking forward to getting stuck in. As, as you know, experienced podcasters that we are at, you know, the ripe old age of two podcasts in, we're really trying to keep <laughs> these snappy. We're trying to keep it to under 30 minutes. But I tell you what, when I was watching this film, I was like, oof, there is a lot to get through. I have so many more notes than last time. And, you know, I think it was good. It was a strong start. But we did have the first episode reviewed by The Elf. Yes, The Christmas Elf. The Christmas Elf, Christmas the, wise, elf. the wise Christmas Elf. Um, who... the, the wise Christmas Elf works away um, on the top floor of a building and, and is constantly creating Christmas creations from about August yeah. every year. And look, this this no is a ridiculous made-up thing, but this is actual true fact. True fact. True fact. Story. So the Elf did review and was one of our first listeners and did do a little bit of a review for us. So do you want to step us through some of the main points of which we have to work on in episode two? Yeah, look, the elf doesn't hold back, and that's why we particularly love them. I've just got a couple of notes here from the uh, reviews, which I'll have you say was written on the back of, like, a fabric roll in some, like, sort of texture, which is then sitting on top of, you know, other Christmas-related fabric. So it was really, you know, on, <laughs> on, on, point. Brand, on brand for the Christmas elf. But the Christmas elf did say, spoiler alerts, the Christmas elf didn't want to know that... Uh, in this example, Freddie Prince Jr. and said pop star, pop star. end up together. And we were like, I feel that's a debatable point. But, you know, the Christmas elf. I don't know. I just flat out reject the elf on that point because everybody knows they get together. That's the whole point of these movies. So I'm, look, we can do a spoiler alert. You probably just heard one that we'll pre record. Um, but yeah, you know, you don't listen to this podcast thinking we're not going to tell you what happens. We're going to tell you what happened. Um, um, the other point that the elf had was that um, she thought that it was a great misstep of us not to learn the characters' names. Yeah, and you know, I take that on board. I take that on board, but also like, just be more memorable. Christmas, Christmas. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but we will. We've taken some concerted efforts to at least get the main characters' names correct yeah, in correct. this one. Correct. I've I've written maybe like two or three characters' names down for this one. Um, <laughs> There, sorry, there was just one more thing which is really important that I'm really going to take on board for this, and its pronunciation is really important because <laughs> I said a phrase called tinsel on top and the Christmas elf heard something very different, which is only appropriate for Christmas crackers up late or Christmas crackers uncut. And I'm not going to go into the details of that, but I'm really going to work on my pronunciation, which I think is is really important. <laughs> I really thought that you were just going to take that one on notice and not share it, but here we are. Great. It's good to be frank and open. All right. So what is the film 
that we are looking at today? So the film that we are looking at is called A Castle. A for Castle. Yeah, Castle or Castle for Christmas. Yes. Correct. That is and the look, name. When we were searching through this, I I didn't want it to be pigeonholed as a podcast that was only looking for nineties uh, celebrities, which. I sort of learnt the lesson that if we're not looking for 90s celebrities, then we're going to run out of Christmas films real quick. But this one does star uh, the amazing Brooke Shields, child star, star of uh, TV shows such as Suddenly Susan or for the even older of us, uh, Blue Lagoon, where she was but a child. And also Carrie Elwes. Um, And I'm sure I'm absolutely butchering his surname but if you do a search for Carrie Elwes you'll certainly know uh who we are talking about and I'm going to reference a couple of films that he is in in just a moment I was very I was very excited when you suggested this because the Netflix blurb says and it's kind of really enticing as a Christmas movie it says to escape a scandal a best-selling author journeys to Scotland where she falls in love with a castle and faces off with the grumpy duke that owns it and that kind of had like everything in it. It's got some international travel. It's got a woman knitting this moment alone. It's got some kind of love story. It's got a duke that's said to be grumpy, which you know is going to have to ungrump as part of the film. So it was pretty enticing to me. It was a good choice, I would say. Yeah. Better than I... my choice. <laughs> <laughs> Look, and, you know, we've, we've got a lot of Christmas films we need to get through, but I feel like, you know, for the second one, we really need to back that. We really need to back it up with something good. And I... I'm going to say, I don't think a Christmas, a castle for Christmas disappointed in the slightest bit. There's no. a lot to get through and I had a lot of feelings. Let's get stuck in. I'm so ready for it. Let's in. go. I'm, I'm going to give you a bit of a, a brief synopsis of where where we start. And, you know, taking the elf's feedback on, on board, you know, there's going to be a spoiler. So just, uh, I'm not going to tell you to not listen, just deal with it. Um, now, Brooke <laughs> Shields' character... <laughs> Uh, by the name, she's a writer by the name of Sophie. Uh, she starts the film, and it, look at this the f- start of the film, a lot happens in very quick succession. She's in New York City, where all good Christmas films do start. Now, when I say that she's a writer, she's not just any writer. Think Stephanie Meyer's Twilight, think whoever wrote Fifty Shades of Grey, think JK Rowling, you know, like. I, I think she's had like 20 books. That's the whole like yeah. vibe from the first. It's like her 21st book has just come out. Yeah. And she's these books are very surrounded by this specific character, Emma someone. Gail. Emma Gail. Emma Gail. Emma Gail. See, let's let's get characters' names right. So Emma Gail, so what she has just, just done, Stephanie Brooke Shields has just killed off the main love interest of Emma Gail. So it is hit the streets and there are protests. There are riots in New York City. Because, sorry, I'm not laughing at this because it's very serious. Um, you know, she has she has done her reader wrong. She's done Winston, the uh, main love interest of Emma Gale, uh, wrong. She's thrown him down some stairs and killed him off, of which the audiences have turned on her. So when audiences turn on you, where else do you go but to the Drew Barrymore show? Um, so she goes to the <laughs> Drew Barrymore show to, you know, promote her book and placate her readers and say, it's okay. I've still got more in me. It's not all about Winston. And look, Drew doesn't agree. 
Drew is not on the side of Sophie. Drew is on the side of the reader. She is out there with her, with you know her placards and she's protesting, of which I feel like we're going to come back to this at some stage. There is a scale five meltdown by our dear main character, Sophie, which I think will go down as like Tom Cruise level, really amazing meltdown. Yeah, she kind of gets to the point where she's standing up and she's yelling and she's gesturing about ripping up her ex-husband into teeny tiny pieces that she's going to feed to sharks. It's not pretty. No. But I would like to just pause here for a second. There are two things I would like to note. Number one, I'm going to refer to Sophie's character as Brooke Shields the whole time because it's much easier and my brain is not that large. Number two, the last time that Drew Barrymore appeared in the beginning of a movie and then disappeared was Scream. <laughs> so for me, this set up a lot of anticipation because that was a great film. Well, my memory of it is it's a great film. So it felt like this is kind of like bringing in a whole lot of things. It also, with this massive meltdown, that was kind of like a really bad precursor to kind of what we saw in the um, the monologue that's in the, um, the Barbie movie. But... It really set up a whole thing of like this is going to be like an eat, pray, love kind of vibe here. Like this woman needs to get out of the city and chillax. New York City has done her dirty. She needs to get out and get some fresh country air. Yeah, Um, and then there's some tenuous part about her dad. It's not tenuous, I guess it's true. Her father had grown up and lived in Dunbar Castle or around it in Scotland. So, of course... That's where she goes. Yes. And look, you know, she has these reminiscent tales with her daughter, Lexi, via a really great, which is a, becoming quite the uh, common occurrence in, in Christmas films of via a, an in-situ, like an in, in-screen video call on a nondescript iPhone. Oh, you're totally right. They keep like inserting like this really bad graphic of an iPhone so you can see yeah. the call while they while the, the film of the person's in the background, but the graphics are just not quite right. Like you know what an iPhone operating system looks yeah. like. Why is it not just that? It's very yeah, odd. it's a home brand. Like let's not try to get sued by Apple. Insert which just I don't know. It just sits a bit. I don't know. Mm. It's not a detail. It's not a detail we probably need to focus on, but it kind of <laughs> just doesn't sit right a little bit. <laughs> it's the little things that count. <laughs> so you know off she pops she's like she's like get me out of new york city off she pops i'm going to dundun bar i'm going to go and write my next book and bring back winston and it's going to be okay i'm going to make it all better also insert um another really common christmas film character the ball breaker manager just like get oh yes there. we've got to write the next story and we saw it in the previous film with freddie prince the- i had exact note written down like the assistant slash agent role is the same yeah absolutely so we end up in scotland in aberdeenshire which is really important and for those that don't know where aberdeenshire it is like remote scotland we're talking like up in the hills up in the hills super cold highlands think whiskey think green stuff and kilts and you know what it did that whole area a great service i hope they got some sort of uh money from their local tourism agency because it looked beautiful there was no um, rain it looked chilly but not like really cold it snows on cue on christmas eve but no other times it's annoying i would go there for christmas for sure it was beautiful absolutely and just these like these stunning panning shots of her little car driving through the roads oh, of, yes of scotland arriving in this amazing picturesque 
beautiful, beautiful area. Like, love it. I was glued to the screen and I have not been that glued to an aerial camera shot of a car going through the Scottish countryside since I, and I'm sure many of you, followed the Queen's (laughs) coffin through the Scottish countryside. (laughs) Probably inappropriate, but it really... It, 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 I can't it, disagree. It was, it's, it's a beautiful countryside. I was just looking for Princess Anne in the car behind, and I was excited. And I was happy to see it again in much happier circumstances. Yeah, look, Brooke Shields arriving in Scotland to to hopefully find her her future love. <laughs> I love. And of course, okay, I need to talk about this because this okay, this please. is critical to me. After it was very critical, Freddie Prince Jr. in the whole principal's office moment in the first episode. Yeah. Um. But the moment when she meets well, who she doesn't realise is the Duke at this point is when she first gets out of the, the car and there's a situation where the, his dog Hamish pushes her and she falls into him and they're kind of like awkwardly hug, but you know there's a little bit of like, uh, oh, yeah. The Christmas magic. This is nice. The Christmas magic. The Christmas magic. It was evident. This is like six or seven minutes in and it's really super evident. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'm here for this. So Brooke Shields arrives in Aberdeenshire. She arrives, she, you know, as you do in all good Scottish uh, regional areas, you arrive and you stay at the pub and she meets just, I have to say, just the most delightful locals, which are just beautiful. She rocks up. She's like, hello, I'm Sophie or whoever. And they all go, oh, we've read all your books. So not only is she just a big thing in America, like she is a big deal worldwide. No, but they, and also like how many authors do people know by sight, like right. celebrity authors? Not many. So she's pretty uh-huh. huge. But but they're really cute and they're all there in the pub and they're knitting, they're yeah. like a knitting club. And again, totally like, down for it. Without without sort of giving away too much of the elf's identity, I feel like the elf could wouldn't really love this. Like the elf would see this <laughs> right there in there, knitting away, chattering away, just solving all of the community's issues. Which it was just, and it, this knitting club, like I don't want to, I don't want to skim over them too much because they were a really important part of the film for me. Like I just thought they were absolutely adorable. Yeah, um, they kind of acted as like the chorus. And Absolutely. were there, like, whenever Brooke Shields wasn't sure she'd turn around and they'd be giving her a wink or, a, you know, you should be doing this. And I really enjoyed that kind of ensemble part that was yeah. missing in the first in the first episode, in the first um, movie that we watched. Can we have the conversation now? Because I really, I'm, I might be jumping the gun, but this character of the Duke. Yeah. I love Which we him. initially thought was the grumpy groundskeeper, right? Grumpy groundskeeper, yeah. So, you know, but, you know, we, we know that he's going to turn into this guy. And you know he's the main character because he's on the also he's on the poster, which is always a always bit of a giveaway. But um, <laughs> I'm like, you look familiar, and it will come to me. Oh yeah, but the whole film, it did not come to me. It was not until afterwards when I did some research <laughs> that it all unraveled, and I was like, of course. Oh yeah. But did you did you recognize him? Immediately? I recognized him, and I thought I recognized him, and then I'm like, nah, not him. And then I looked again, and I was like, hmm. Maybe it is him. Then I had to bring out the old iPhone and do the old Googs. Um, and it was, it was exactly who I thought it was. So for some of us, you will <laughs> you will know him probably most famously from uh, either The Princess Bride, great film. No, 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 mate. It's gotta be Robin Hood. Or Robin Hood Prince in Tights. Let's not let's not get that confused He's with Kevin Robin. Costner Robin Robin Hood. <laughs> 
definitely not Kevin Costner. He's Robin Hood. I feel like we need to insert here that like tight, tight. Yeah. From the song. Um, so hopefully we've done that. But I just literally then went in this hole again, rabbit hole, of watching all the clips from Robin Hood in <laughs> tights. And that film would definitely not be made in 2023. Like, there's absolutely no absolutely way. Not. But it it is just like such a microcosm of that thinking. I think it's early 90s, 93 or something like that when this kind of, I think it's a Mel Brooks film, yeah, it this is kind Brooks of comedy yeah. was was kind of accepted and really celebrated and was seen as this kind of wild success. So, yeah, it was great to reacquaint myself with Robin. And he's done a whole lot of other oh, films. Yeah, a whole lot of other films, including one of my favourite films of all time, which I have like almost a yearly watching, Twister, uh, which, side note, and... Carol will know this because I send Carol a text every year being like, oh, my God, I've just watched Twister and I've Googled and I remember that Bill, Bill now I'm going to get it wrong again, Bill Paxton, Bill Pullman, one of them. Correct. Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton of Twister fame had died years ago and it's like every year I go through this and I mourn Bill Paxton year on year on year and most recently I mourn Bill Paxton when I somewhat uh this is a little bit sick of me um watched titanic i had to re-watch it but it was just after <laughs> that really tragic strange story of that submersible that just absolutely oh, yeah. dominated our uh news headlines for quite a few days cycle so hold on you you had to you had to that was the term you just used watch it rewatch it because of the submersible i couldn't stop thinking about it because bill no. paxton that's all right. start in a submersible which just yeah. checking <laughs> okay back to the film hold on so who was who was he in twister he was the opposition he was the opposition to Oh, Alan the storm chasers. Yes. He was the opposition of Bill Paxton. Oh, uh, yeah. They were the ones that uh, had the other Dorothy and ended up dying by getting sucked up into a twister, which uh, was mm-hmm. sad, but, you know, he was kind of the villain in the story. So Yeah. I got into a bit of a wormhole. I'm not sure how far you went about looking up him because he's done like a prolific, like he's also done movies like Saw, like things you wouldn't expect. But he's also in like a massive um, Twitter or what's now called X fight with um, Senator Ted, Ted oh, no, Cruz. I didn't go down this. Please tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> so Ted Cruz had, had posted about how he really likes Princess Bride and then I think he then Kerry reposted saying, you know, well, I don't know how you feel but um, all the cast of Princess Bride like really dislike you. We're all Biden. And it became like this Twitter stoush. But yes, so that's so for, for me. I only realized all this about him afterwards, and in retrospect, I think that made me enjoy the movie more because when I was watching it, he was just like vaguely familiar yeah. the whole yeah. time. Um, unlike Brooke, Brooke, I feel like in a really different way from Freddie. I feel like Brooke, we've all grown up with. We've been there, and even though I was really young when um, Blue Lagoon all that was out we're very familiar with that kind of discussion around what happened to her as a young woman in the film industry again would not happen in Absolutely 2023 not. we were there we we're very aware of her overbearing mother the whole Andre Agassi situation and then her marrying and 
um, having two kids and but continuing to be in the spotlight. And I feel like unlike other um, actors that take on a Christmas movie and that could end their career, I feel like Brooke has the ability to bounce back and forth. Like she could do this movie, then she could win an Oscar. That would be okay. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I feel like this is not... I feel like like her, her presence on the screen in this film wasn't foreign, but it also wasn't no. just like, oh yeah, that's what you do now. You do you just do Christmas films. She like like, oh yeah, Brooke Shields, yeah, great. I'm in there. I'm here, I'm here for this. And you just never know where she's gonna pop up again. Yeah. And I feel like every time she pops up, we're just like, Yeah, get it, Brooke. We love you. Yeah, she she kind of I would say defies the um Absolutely. The genre. Absolutely. But I tell you what doesn't defy the genre. So we're we're only like we're not far into the film of where we're like we're a long fire into this podcast, but uh, we're not far into the film by the time that she arrives in in Scotland and she's met the knitting club. So the knitting club are all you know they're sitting there and they're like telling the stories. They're like, oh, she just been up to Dum Dumbar. She saw the Duke again. Again, still thinking grumpy groundskeeper. Um, and he, like to be frank, he was a bit of a dick, which again very much lends into the to the genre. Yeah, and also to be honest, I was really worried. For quite some time, for at least the first 20, 25 minutes of this film, because we know from the outset that her father has a connection to this yes. castle. And then we meet this guy. He's there when she's checking into the inn, like sipping some flowers. He's there when she walks up to the castle doing something or other. But you get an idea, like he's connected to this this as well. And I was like, are they related? Wow. Or is this a love story? Like there was a little bit of it. I'm like, maybe his best friend is going to be the love interest. I don't know, but this feels a little bit Yeah, it feels like is this going to be a story where she falls in love with her long-lost brother who they kind of like a Princess Leia Luke kind of vibe going on, which again, like 1980s, yeah, sure. Can we tell that story in in these current times? I don't know. yeah, I was yeah. concerned. I was concerned for that good yeah. first twenty-four minutes until it was he was clearly not related to her. That was much relief. So here we are. We're telling it that we're we're at the knitting club. There's so much to this film. There's so much <laughs> to this. She was telling the knitting club how she's been up to Dunbar and she loves it. And they're like, "Oh, too bad it's about to be sold." Of which Brooks gone. Oh my god, what do you mean? Um, and they tell of how you know in Aberdeenshire that the prices are that real real estate prices are you know cheap so next day neck minute Brooke has rocked up to the castle and she's like let me buy this I am you know big selling author which of which really like I'm going to talk about this in a second but really made me go down a rabbit hole of like how first of all how rich is this author or are the castles that cheap that we could just get yeah. one? And this is this is the rabbit hole that I would did go down, and I'm, I'm, in, I'm I've got a special section for rabbit holes at the end of this. But it, look, I feel like we're at the stage where we can kind of skip ahead to a bit of it because this is 24 minutes in. She's gone in and said, "I want to buy it." Grumpy grounds creeper turned disgruntled duke has gone. Absolutely not. I'm not selling. But also, disgruntled duke is also destitute duke too. So he's got no money. He can't afford it. He's got some weird little accountant dude being like, you got to sell, you got to sell, you got to sell, of which he's gone, absolutely not, will not. Then Destitute Disgruntled Duke comes around all in the space of like 15 seconds in this film. She's at the pub having a whiskey. He comes in, I'll have a whiskey large. Yeah, you're like, when they order a large whiskey, you know something's about to happen. And then I think from this point onwards, 
it's pretty like this is when the, the film changed. It went to a different yeah. thing. He offers her this bit of paper that says, you know, you've got to live with me. The money's going to go in escrow for, for three months. You've got to learn how to live in the castle. I've got to live there as well. We've both got to live together. Oh, that's convenient. And then we'll see what happens. And the whole outset is that she's going to prove that he she can live there and his whole thing is that I'm going to prove to her that she can't live there and I'm going to keep her money that's in escrow, her deposit, that she can't yeah. get back. <laughs> and then that there sets up this, oh, totally. But that just kind of sets up the next, and I would say, to be honest, the next hour is pretty boring where they do the same thing, where they he puts her in like a cold part of the castle, but she still makes it her own. Yeah, living club and then, you know, she wanders around. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. And then so they start to warm to each other over that next bit. So that's like the whole next arc, which I don't think we need to go into any detail because it's very easy. I mean, you've got it all. It's Christmas tropes. It's fish out of water. It's getting your mojo back. It's Scrooge turned around. It's... It's, it's all those things. You get it. There's an hour gone by, 24 minutes, then an hour. We're happy. And then suddenly I'm just going to go early. I'm going to go sure. early, Nick. My Mariah moment. <laughs> Towards the end of this period, when Christmas is getting closer, she's convinced him to no longer be the grumpy duke that he is, that he should, you know, become the guy that embraces Christmas, that's decorate the house, that's throw what they used to always have as this Christmas Eve party for the village, let's do it. So they go on horseback. Oh, to go and look for a Christmas tree. Do you remember this? Oh, chef's Do you remember kiss. This? Chef's kiss. For... So they're walking around. It is beautiful. There is like a light dusting of snow. He is being an environmentalist. He's like, if we chop this tree down, we've got to plant oh two. Trees. Yada yada yada. The two trees when they chop down the Christmas oh. tree. Oh, oh. Give it's beautiful. Absolutely stunning. And then the tree they choose is very, very large because it has to fit in this very, very large castle, which, by the way, when you get back there, has about 1,500 trees, so I don't know why they went out on a special mission <laughs> to get this one, but that's beside yeah, the point. Um, but they, so they're chopping down this tree, then it just cuts to the tree in the castle. I want to know, how did they get it back? Yeah. They were just on two horses. Did they just, like, drag this giant thing back or did the tree go on the horses and they walk back? I yeah. just didn't. The logistics were not I clear. thought the same thing. The logistics of this it was, was magical. Bananas. I was like, you can't drag that. Like, <laughs> you, 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 the, the, yeah, I want to know. But also, there's no staff. This is a destitute duke, remember? He's got no staff. There's no money. Like, yeah, the, the whole logistics behind the tree. But I often think that as well. Also, like, who's put up all these thousands of fairy lights all over the castle? I thought you were right, mate. The, the whole thing for a castle that throughout the, the throughout the film they joke about having very very dodgy electrics that needs a generator oh. or at least two like it was covered Absolutely. in the amount of decorations in there would be a small fortune across the front of it across the whole of it even in her bedroom that had no heating yeah. is drooping yeah. in festivities. How's, how's this you've got no no like resource to heat the bedroom of which you're sleeping in in Scotland. In the middle of winter, but you've got enough resources to cover this bloody castle in lights. Like, we need to look at our priorities. But I love a good Christmas light. I love a fairy light, my friends. But I'm sorry. We've got to get our priorities straight. But let's just say he, the investment does work because as part of all this and getting ready for the for this party they're going to hold, she finds in room nine, there's like 15 million rooms, this box with a Christmas tartan dress in there. She tries it on. He comes out of his room and... They have a bit of a smooch, and it 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 came a little bit early for me. I was a bit taken aback. I was like, "Really? We're now? 
This feels right. too early. I looked at the time of which was left on the show, oh, and I was like, mm, you've gone too early, my friends. You've gone too early with the smooch. Um, and normally in these films, because they're normally from different worlds, always, right. these characters. This film ends, like, after the smooch because it's kind of like, um, like a farmer wants a wife kind of situation where you know when they recap or by the time they get to the reunion show, they've already broken up because the girl from the city does not want to wear gumboots every day in this banana farm. So <laughs> I felt like this was one of those situations where you're like, they're gone too early, they, it, it, it's all going to unravel. And it does. Absolutely. And it unravels really quickly too. Like for a film that started really quickly and then nothing in the middle, the unraveling was equally quick as well. And I was like, what the hell just yeah, happened? Yeah, because after having a, a night of, you know, they shut the door and you know what happens and they're having a beautiful breakfast yeah, together, they have a big fight and I can't remember what the fight was about. What was the fight about? The, she offered, yeah, the, it, it, it was strange. She offered for him <laughs> to stay and then all of a sudden he's had this absolutely oh, oh, flip yes. out being like, what do you mean? You just want to take over? And I was like, dude, you sold her the castle. Oh. Like, you sold it to her. Yeah, he's, he's like, oh, you're offering for me to stay in the house that I've lived in my whole life. And she's he's like, oh, then he goes, I've what, your boyfriend or your, yeah. yeah. But also, let's remember that on. Brooke Shields, she ain't no she ain't no silly one. She's, she read the contract and she's already called him out about half huh. an hour before, sometime in that middle of like where nothing really was happening, but this one important detail did happen. She's like, I read the contract, dude. She's like, I see through your little evil plan to like get me out of here and just take my deposit money. She's like, I'm calling you on your bullshit and I'm sticking around. And in that reason, in, in that time, she's like, I'm calling you out, but also, oh, you're quite sweet and I'm falling in love with you. Yeah, and then she put, packs up all of her stuff into her one single suitcase and then she rolls it back into the inn where her knitting club takes her back in. And then, look, this was a close second for me in terms of a Mariah moment. There is a moment where he's just in the castle alone and some Robbie Williams comes on. She's the one. Great song, great track. Also from this great early, early late 90s, early 1000s era. And a montage happens of all the time they looked at each other from the film. And you can see him being like, what have I done? Uh, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I, look, the Elf also gave me some feedback to say that in, in the last pod that my, my Mariah moment was pretty crap to start with. And look, again, the Elf is very wise. I can't disagree with them. But... But also there was a hard yeah, film look, to was, find some was, high points in, so, spot. you know, I, I'm but with you. the take that Robbie Williams montage of moments over the last, I don't know, what, 15 days uh, was <laughs> really quite something special. And that, I look, in my Mariah moments, that definitely had a had a real, uh, a special and honourable mention. And then, of course, he can't not let her come to the party. They're having the whole parties kicking off that she's organised, that Brooke Shields organised, the whole village is there and all the outfits that she bought them from Saks Fifth Avenue and obviously had couriered over. Um, and she's just alone in her PJs. There she is, alone in, in the house. She gets this, like, thud at the window, of which she then opens up and in classic kind of, like, goofball comedy Christmas style, she then gets another snowball in the face of which just removes you from that romantic sort of element. And here is old mate, disgruntled Duke, turning into dashing Duke, standing there with two horses. Correct. For me, I found it to be quite heartwarming because it had reminiscences of The Sound of Music, ever something's thrown at like a higher window. 
can't beat it. But then she comes down and they're standing in the exact spot that they fell into each other when she first arrived. So there's a nice little bit of symmetry there. So here we are with old mate disgruntled Duke, just picked up the lovely Brooke Shields in her pyjamas, by the way, at this stage, um, on horseback. And then we're obviously going up to Dundum Bar for the big fair, the big party, Christmas Eve. So all good things happen on Christmas Eve. And yep. Brooke Shields and disgruntled Duke, his name is mild, but I feel like disgruntled Duke is, you know, it's a little bit more poetic. Um, I rock into this party <laughs> and I tell you what, one of my favourite things about this film, and I, I did have a section of my notes of what I loved, but and I'm going to say it here and now, is the hues of dark green and burgundy, just the warmth of Christmas colours was just stunning. And here, Brooke Shields rocks in with what is possibly one of the most ugly dresses I've ever seen in my life. And I tell you what, she rocked that. Like She did. She, she had it on earlier, but only like part of it when they had their earlier smooch before it all went downhill. But now it's like fully like an Alexander McQueen-esque kind of tartan situation. It yeah. was very impressive. I wouldn't choose it, but it was very fitting for Dun Dunbar. Yeah, look, you certainly, locale. you certainly wouldn't choose it. But look, the thing about it is, is that it is, you're right, it's that Alexander McQueen fashion forward just kind of, you know, is, is that, and <laughs> Carol and I sort of know this world a little bit. There's a very fine line between just looking homeless and being very fashion forward. And I feel like this... <laughs> Um, this this dress sort of teaches that line of like, is it so ugly that it is really fashionable or is it just bloody ugly? But I, like, again, yeah, wouldn't pick it for myself, but uh, tell you what. She's it's a- on Brooke. Brooke can rock it. She's, yeah, absolutely. she's all over it. And again, this is why we love Brooke. She can do no wrong. Um, but I also have a confession to make. When they come into the, the ballroom where this party's happening, they all, everybody busts into some Scottish country dancing and I have a confession to make that I was once a student of said dancing Oh, I'm when s- I was at school. A Highland fling? <laughs> no, not a Highland fling. No, I was like in our year eight camp, our Scottish history teacher used to make us all put towels, wear towels like a kilt and then practice Scottish country dancing and we did it like every school camp. Hilarious. Like the early part of high school, so you know, I, I, it, it, it rekindled the love of you know, and when you're 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 twelve, you're like, why am I doing this? this is ridiculous. But they, I do have a soft spot for like organized dance in oh. this kind of way. I think it's something missing from contemporary society Excuse that me. we don't get to do such. <laughs> you're talking dance. to someone that partnered, uh, and this is a you know, a, particularly a regional country Victoria thing. They still do debutante balls, which is just the most bizarre thing on earth, but. High schools in country Victoria love it, and yeah, I learned to do the old Pride of Erin and many a many a ballroom. Oh, really? See, they had that at my school, and I went to high school in a very large Asian city. And um, yeah, there was it was an international school, and some of the kids did do Deb, but I was not of that ilk. It was a very it's a bizarre society situation. Yeah, but yeah, I do like it. I do like you know, I love when the nut bush comes on. I love a bit of the Macarena. I love the idea that everyone gets together and has a bit of a dance in a coordinated manner. Yeah. I'm not afraid of it. Not ashamed. No. No, lean lean on into that, I say. Lean into that. <laughs> should we should we go through some of the reviews? Because there were some interesting things out there. Now I've done hold on. Through, yeah. Did we have your Mariah moment? 
No. Let's do the Mariah. Or did I steal yours? No, no, no. Let's do the Mariah moment. Now, as I said, you know, the elf told me I really need to up my game. So I did a bit of a short list. And I I thought that the final dance was particularly charming and I wanted to give a special mention to that. You did steal to take that montage of the last, you know, 30 days of really that. I think obviously... Excuse me, it wasn't take that. It was Robbie Solo. Sorry, let's let's get the nuance of these, this particularly... Yeah, my God. Uh, again, that's that's a sore point for my friend Carol here. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the montage was particularly lovely. Look, special mention does need to be given to Drew Barrymore's side eye at the start um, of watching Brooke Shields' full-on Tom Cruise moment meltdown, uh, partic- and particularly her, her side eye. I thought that was particularly moment. But for me, the thing that I loved and my real Mariah moment... <gasps> I think it's around halfway through the film. So we're talking in that real dead point of like, we've got an hour of kind of not much happening. But Brooke Shields and the Duke arrive and they've just been out on, he's shown her the lands and whatever, um, done something which I didn't wasn't really paying that much attention to. And they arrive in the pub, the knitting club are there. Um, and all of a sudden the pub just turns into this rousing rendition of Loch Lomond and they're up there singing like, I'll take the high road and you'll take the low road. <laughs> and I tell you what, I, just, I also yeah. I thought the whole thing was incredibly charming. I giggled, I laughed, but I God, I just wanted to be in that pub with him, drinking some some whiskey. And I'm not a karaoke person, but get me in a like a in a group sing song, and I tell you what, I'll be I'll be singing, you know, the Bonnie Downs for whatever needs to be sung. So that's my I completely Agree. It was up there with the dancing for me, some communal sing-along. Also very impressive, Brooke Shields knew all the words. Oh, absolutely. To this song. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, I totally agree. I give you that. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up, Nick. My, my, my absolute pleasure. Now, let's let's go to the reviews because <laughs> there, there was a couple. Now, this one from The Guardian, um, not so much a review that I cared for a great deal, but it was from an artist, from, an artist, from a, a writer called Jenny Colgan. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm just going to read the first bit. It's from Jenny's review. It goes, it's nice to know that there are only, that there are only two bicycling novelists who live in Scottish Castle, one being me and the other being Brooke Shields. But particular note for me is, as a novelist, I write Scottish-based romances often set at Christmas because I love them, and every year I hope that Netflix might option one and make it. I tell you what, Jenny Colgan is a, uh artist <laughs> or, or a author I'm going to be seeking out. So, Jenny, I'm coming for your novels and uh, you may just... But also, <laughs> 10 points for this opportunistic, hey, hello, Netflix, I'm just here. Oh, absolutely. Very good. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to go to the New York Times next um, and let's just, let's just go into this. So... Likeable stars with little frisson. Elwes and Shields are also saddled with a formulaic script. Mm, saddled with a formulaic script? I feel like given the gift of what a formulaic script. are you talking about? Yeah, oh absolutely. My God. Go on, go on. Anyway, um, it doesn't help matters that Elwes, whose last lead in romantic comedy was The Princess Bride, uh, they clearly haven't seen Twister, but anyway, does not look at ease. The supporting cast is more relaxed, particularly Andy Osho as Maisie and Lee Ross as Thomas. Uh, Maisie's former and Miles, Maisie's former sweetheart and Miles' servant, but no one is happier for their close-up than the pup who portrays the dogged, 
matchmaker. It's tempted to say he puts the ham in Hamish. I mean, it's it's just a pun that doesn't quite work. But anyway, um, it's tempted to say I he puts the ridiculous ham. Ridiculous review. A di- ridiculous review. But this is. I think we need to make special notes. Of this he puts the ham in Hamish. But then isn't that an Easter dish? I tell you who doesn't think that ham is an Easter dish, and that is the people at Kmart right now. So don't understand what I don't even understand that reference at all. Yeah, correct. And ham is not an Easter dish. And ham is not an Easter dish. Yeah. Oh, maybe it is, and we're just very unaware, and that's just not something we do in Australia. Well, but ham is Christmas. So we'll move right on to what I think is my favourite review, and this is by the lovely people at Variety, by particular Courtney Howard. And she says, they say, despite its smattering of shortcomings, A Castle for Christmas is gently disarming, heartening, holiday-themed escapism that is satisfying as a cup of hot chocolate on a cold winter's night, which I couldn't agree with more. She goes on to say... Uh, still, the benefits of the film outweigh its blights. It's refreshing to see a love story revolving around a couple over the age of 50, which I think is an important point. Lambert, who's the director, brings an assured sense of introspection and nuance to the narratives while bestowing it with an enduring effervescence. With rootable interests, I mean, that's completely something different in Australia, but we'll move <laughs> on from that. <laughs> With rootable interests and enlightening views on community, artistic integrity, and regaining vibrancy in a world seeking to diminish it, this feature is a gift. And I feel like Courtney has really hit the nail. I feel like Courtney understands what we're talking about here. No, I pay that. Yeah, they get it. Hey, we are hugely over time, but I just wanted to... Did you have any rabbit holes which you went down? I know we've mentioned a couple. No, mine was really, I was just having a, a big, oh, no, I went on one, to be honest. I reflected on Brooke Shields' career and her magnificent longevity and the fact that she is just an excellent heroine in terms of, like, lady power. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I sort of went down the whole, you know, Robin Hood thing. But I also, there was all this mention of a Scotch dresser oh, the yeah. whole way through the film and yeah. I was like, what are they talking about? And it turned out that I had been calling a chest of drawers just a chest of drawers when I could have this whole time been calling it a Scotch dresser. Yeah, for me, I, and I will now say that. Yeah, for me, that was a that was a rabbit hole and a lesson learned. Absolutely, like mm-hmm. why would you be calling it a, a yeah chest of drawers when you could have a Scotch dresser? Which I would also have to say arrived in the film with a lovely garland of like Christmas. Yeah, like <laughs> Christmas. Oh, tree oh my gosh. Party. How about you? How about your rabbit hole? Yeah, so look, I, I went down a bit of a rabbit hole and I sort of was looking at this whole Brooke Shields, Drew Barrymore, and they've, they've done some work together and they've done some interviews about sort of like relationships with their mother and being child stars, which I thought was all very, very interesting. And especially since Drew's been like doing the running around outside in, in the rain, like just love a bit of Drew Barrymore. Like I, yeah, renewed love for Brooke Shields. But i tell you my favourite my favorite rabbit hole that I went down and it was... I was going this whole thing of like, how rich do you have to be to have a to own a castle in Scotland? And I tell you what, my friends, keep working, and you don't have to wait for that long because it's not that unachievable. Like we're still talking, you know, seven hundred thousand pounds to you know, like one and a half. You can get something kind of like half decent, which you know, in convert that sort of like three million, three and a half million thousand Australian dollars, which like. 
I just bought an apartment not so long ago and I certainly didn't spend that much money on it, but like, it's not hard to spend $3 million in some of our capital cities and get not a castle. So Correct. But I feel like this film is also a warning, is this, that it's not about the buying of it, it's about the maintenance. There's a whole scene where they're like Mr. Sheening things yeah. and every time he walks up and down those stairs he's like buffing the the thing. And it's clearly very expensive to heat the top floor. Yeah, so I don't think it's something you go into yeah. Well, that was without expecting deep upkeep. So yeah. I've learned that from this film as well. Yeah. Thank you very much. And Robin Hood. Yeah, look, I I think I really like this film. I thought it was charming. Yeah, there was a bit of a dead spot in the middle, but like give me a netting club in a pub and I am absolutely there. Um so like I I, I, just, <laughs> I thought No, it's great. I'm looking forward to I think I think when Next week we need to look at maybe something a bit more on the classic side. Yeah, I think so. Um, We've done two very It's my pick, so maybe we'll have a little look down that alley. But, yeah, I think it was great and I'm looking forward to seeing what Episode 3 brings us. Thanks, Carol. Thanks, Nick. See you soon.